Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you today. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you today? Doing, doing well. All doing, right. Doing well. Excellent. We have a few things to go over today, exciting in a dangerous sort of way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there is some news, uh, and we've brought this name up. I believe we've interviewed him at times, and uh, we've uh, sort of tried to stick by him. That's Julian Assange. Yeah. <clears throat> but he is in the news and uh, I want to uh, yeah, let's emphasize put the whole, whole thing here because it looks like the major networks that didn't go to bad form over the years have decided, well, here, here on anti-war says major news organizations finally urge U.S. to drop charges against Julian Assange. Yeah. Well, maybe better late than ever. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think I think that's good news and. Uh, it's criminal what how he's been treated by the bipartisan group of people in Washington D.C. Yeah, let's put up that first clip because this is this was published in the Guardian, which was one of the original recipients of the information from Chelsea Manning, uh, which made up the bulk of its reporting way back when, uh, back at 12 years ago. It's been, uh, and, and you're right, Dr. Paul. I would say finally these organizations uh, speak up. And it was a joint letter that was issued by the New York Times, The Guardian, Le Monde, Der Spiegel, and El Pais, uh, suggesting or requesting that the charges be dropped. And as our friends at antiwar.com point out, the five news outlets benefited greatly from documents released by WikiLeaks and worked with the organization to publish State Department cables known as Cablegate. And so... They benefited enormously. I remember this. This is back when Glenn Greenwald was working with, uh, uh, with them, and so much information came out. And they've been basically silent for all this time about the treatment of Assange and about the treatment of a fellow journalist. So it's kind of bittersweet in a way, yes. Too little, too late, perhaps. But finally, they're doing something. And let's hope, especially with the New York Times stepping up, that there will be some attention paid uh, to this issue. Yeah, that is good. He, you know, uh, the article on anti-war was Dave, Dave DeCamp, I yeah. believe. And uh, I, I want to read a little bit from this because he has a couple points here I think is very important. Uh, and this is quoted here, Trump decided to pursue charges. You know, there was a question on whether they could charge him with anything, <clears throat> but Trump figured out how to do it. <clears throat> yeah. Under Donald Trump, however, the position changed. The DOJ relied on an old law, which we hear about all the time now, the Espionage Act of 1970, nobody's ever been convicted of uh, disobeying it, designed to prosecute potential spies during World War I, (laughs) uh, which has never been used to prosecute a publisher or broadcast. The new organization said so. It's it's something they're just grabbing at uh, grabbing at anything they can to try to get him. But there was one other thing that Dave mentioned in here that I thought was uh, uh, important. Uh, he, he he said last year in a bombshell report, Yahoo News, <clears throat> that's where this comes from, revealed that the CIA under Pompeo plotted to kidnap and discuss assassinating Assange over the release of Vault 7, yeah. which has been around, yeah. you know, and that was it, but they had to u- use something. The report has been cited by Assange's legal team now trying to get, uh, uh, you know, prevent that uh, extradition to the United States. You know, 
Why shouldn't he be anxious to get home and get a fair trial? Uh, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't look like he uh, happens to believe that. Yeah, well, I wonder why. <laughs> well, here's, here's a piece from the letter. If you do that second clip, um, and this makes the point that should be obvious to everyone, but unfortunately it is not obvious to many people. Obtaining and disclosing sensitive information when necessary in the public interest is a core part of the daily work of journalists. I would add, it used to be and should be. <laughs> and they go on, if that work is criminalized, our public discourse and our democracies are made significantly weaker. Twelve years after the publication of Cablegate, it's time for the U.S. government to end its prosecution of Julian Assange uh, for, publishing, uh, uh, for publishing secrets. And you make a good point, Dr. Paul, because this is really one of the dark uh, spots, one of you know, quite a few, on the Trump presidency, because on the campaign trail, hundreds of times he said, I love WikiLeaks. I love what they're doing. It's great. It's wonderful. And then when he got in power, in contrast to Obama, who rightly didn't think it was right and proper to charge Assange for what he did, by contrast, Trump did, as you say, charge him under the Espionage Act, which is bizarre because he's not even an American citizen. So Trump, after benefiting from embracing WikiLeaks, turned on Assange and turned his back on Assange. And as you point out, and I'm going to uh, put this up because you mentioned it, but it really needs reinforcing. Put up this next clip. This is an American government official, Secretary of State, top diplomat and former CIA chief, Mike Pompeo, summoned by court. This is, I think, a couple months ago. Summoned by court to explain alleged U.S. government plot to assassinate Julian Assange, say Spanish media reports. So reportedly, Pompeo was cooking up, as you say, a plot to assassinate Assange. Well, he wasn't alone. Let's put up the next one, because this is a, a tweet from WikiLeaks back in 2016. To silence WikiLeaks, Hillary Clinton proposed drone strikes on Julian Assange. And this is a report from a meeting in the White House where she said, can't we just drone this guy? And it was supposed to be funny, and everyone had nervous laughter. But according to at least the report, she remained serious. So two top U.S. government officials openly planned or discussed assassinating a journalist in the course of his duties. Can you imagine if one of America's enemies uh, was caught openly discussing and plotting the assassination of a critical journalist? You know, other, other countries violate civil liberties. And it, it's in the news frequently, uh, uh, China especially. Yeah. And if you say anything to get a sort of a a more modest approach to this and trying to understand the pros and cons of what's really going on. You know, you hate America, yeah. you love China, and you're a commie, and, and all these things. But I, th I think that uh, uh, the, the, the real point for me is, uh, what kind of hypocrisy is this? Yeah. What, and I can remember bringing this up one time in a committee, and I was so amazed. I brought it up, <coughs> I said, why don't we deal with our problems of the violation of civil liberties right here in this country? I mean, it was, had to do with China back yeah. then, 20 years ago. So, and uh, they said, <coughs> they said, no. Uh, matter of fact, they conceded it. They said, good point, good point. <laughs> but, but then they went on and did, did whatever they wanted to do. And it, it, they have to build this animosity and hatred and uh, that does, but the, <clears throat> the problem is, is they can immediately uh, accuse you of being weak on, uh, on the principles and that you're weak on America and you're endorsing what they're doing. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think hypocrisy is, 
is something that we should frown upon. Yeah. Well, you know, we ask, we talk about journalism a lot. We talk about the media a lot. And, you know, the question is, why is journalism so bad? Why do the mainstream media outlets, with very few exceptions, probably no exceptions, why do they act like stenographers for the state, only reporting without question? For example, and a good example is this AP reporter who just reported what a government official said about the Russian missiles striking Poland. Over and over and over, this is the case. Why is journalism so bad in America? I would suggest, and I'm sure it goes back further than that, Dr. Paul, I would suggest that the persecution and attempted prosecution of Assange and WikiLeaks has a lot to do with it. You know, if you attack and destroy an actual journalism uh, outlet, an, an outlet that actually does what journalists are supposed to do, which is expose the hypocrisy and the crimes of the state, if you persecute them and prosecute them like they've done to WikiLeaks, it has a chilling effect on all journalism. Maybe that's why journalism is so junky today in the U.S. No one wants to end up like Assange. Well, and it sort of pushes, you know, these uh, journalists that want to survive have to become part of the state. Yeah. And then it, we, we can condemn <coughs> the uh, communists because, yeah, that's what we do all the time. That's part of our philosophy. But it's not supposed to be part of our philosophy. But yes, and whether it's... Uh, whether it's the corporatism on the enforcement of the rules on COVID or internationally, you know, they, they come together. And, uh, and yet there was a time, you know, keep thinking, well, is it like this all the time? Probably to some degree, uh, there's always been abuse. But uh, what's going on now, I think, is the worst our country has ever, ever been in trying to defend, uh, you know, at least the, uh, the effort made in the Constitution to protect journalism. You know, I, I mean, I get a little depressed when we talk about Assange because it's been so long that we have been championing him uh, and his journalism. Remember back in 2017 when he spoke at our conference, the Ron Paul Institute conference. Uh, it, I mean, who would have thought even holed up in the embassy in, in London, who would have thought that things would have gotten so much worse since then? And it's very depressing. It's a dark stain on every one of the Western democracies the U.S., U.K., and Australia particularly, and uh, let's hope that this letter does some good. But I want to just say one thing before we move on, Dr. Paul, and that is just to mention a word from our sponsor. Uh, and, you know, there's kind of a misconception about survival food. These are people who are holed up in their bunkers or something. But I think and a great example is this massive snowfall we had in Buffalo a few, uh, a few weeks, uh, last week, I think it was. Um, there is a time where you can't get out of your house for whatever reason there might be. And that is the time when it is wise to have some food available. And that's why we thank our sponsor of the show, 4Patriots.com, the number 4Patriots.com. They provide not just survival food, but edible, decent, delicious survival food that you can use in so many different situations that you may find yourself in. Sometimes normal situations, the power's out, whatever. It's simple, simple, you just add water, boil it, simmer it and you're eating uh, and thanks to our friends at 4patriots.com we can offer a 10 percent discount on your first order using the code word ron r-o-n and enter that in and you will get 10 percent off and free shipping for your order over 97 dollars now if you're listening you won't be able to see this but if you're watching us you can again see delicious looking food it's very important to be able to survive in times of uncertainty. 4Patriots.com, enter in Ron and get yourself 
your discount. Dr. Paul? Very good. <clears throat> Looked pretty good. I was getting a little hungry <laughs> looking at that, should, I'll be honest with you. should do it right before the mealtime. I uh, know. <laughs> uh, do you want to ready move on to our next little item? Yeah, this is a have? big item, too, and it's, t it's related in a way, Dr. Paul, because it is still about speech and free yeah, speech. Yeah, it's a threat. Now, th this headline, again, uh, you know, Zero Hedge is very helpful. They have a couple. I wonder if they have more than the researchers we have for our program. <laughs> um, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it says, Apple threatens to ban Twitter from App Store. Won't say why. Yeah. And this is what Musk said. You know, this is the whole thing. And uh, the more I read about Tim Cook and Apple and things going on there, uh, it's pretty scary. Yeah. Because uh, if you're if you're looking for a corporatism where big corporations get in bed with uh, big government uh, and and then they do their dirty work for them, you know, uh, I think it's just a, a horrible thing. Uh, you know, <clears throat> even even with this recent uprising in in China, yeah, they cook and them just was on the side of the Chinese government yeah. and try to make it difficult for anybody to, uh, you know, communicate. And, uh, of course, uh, our position could well have been, if anybody asks us, well, why are we involved in yeah. picking sides over there? But then to pick one side that looks uh, and, and to damage the people who are looking like they want more freedom and they want their First Amendment rights, they don't call it that, but they're standing up for it, uh, and all of a sudden you have have the uh, top guy come out and uh, he he's not uh, Cook is not the epitome of somebody who has a principal stand for uh, libertarianism no, no, or no. free markets or sound money or or sound uh, uh, foreign policy see what's happening is so often economically here at home but overseas economics and foreign policy are intertwined you can't separate them and whoever whoever controls it makes the difference well the president controls that we elect him and he do, does our bidding which is absolutely not true because it's the deep state, the people who, who know what they want, uh, you know, they, they make sure their people in there. And that's, of course, is why, you know, just getting rid of one party, everything is going to be okay because, you know, just already what we've talked about today is why both parties are involved in the Assange deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we don't, we never endorse uprising overseas because it's always so complicated. But you can't fail to understand or appreciate the fact that China's response and its treatment of its citizens over the COVID policy, their zero COVID policy, which has been a disaster, really shows the ugly side of the authoritarian government there. Uh, and so, as you say, when Apple jumps in on the side of the government to suppress the people who are sick of being locked up in their homes, it is pretty disgusting. But, you know, you ask, well, why, why is Apple hassling Twitter? Why are they so angry about this? Well, here's one example, and this is kind of a blockbuster uh, that came out uh, this morning uh, and put up this next clip. This is from uh, Zero Heads. Why are they so mad at Twitter? Well, I would say this is <coughs> Exhibit A, Dr. Paul. Twitter stops enforcing COVID-19 misinformation policy. And if you remember, for a good two and a half years, if you deviated at all, from the government's official narrative on COVID, there would be some little person behind the scenes in Twitter who would nuke your account and get you in big trouble. Well, this has just changed. And put up this next one. This is from Twitter's transparency page. This is their COVID-19 misinformation policy. Well, they've slapped a label on it, and you can see that toward the bottom. Effective November 23rd, 2022, Twitter is no longer enforcing the COVID-19 
misleading information policy. Uh, and that is an achievement, again, too little too late, uh, but I think Musk gets the credit for now finally allowing a, de a debate, which we should have had in the first place, if we believe in freedom in any way, shape, or form, a debate. Was it right when they said, take the shot, you won't get sick? And they were the ones that were lying. You can't even question it. See, I think they've recognized that they have been victorious in really damaging the First Amendment. But then there's a vacuum out there. Well, if there's no First Amendment and you have journalists go out and politicians go out and people have discussion and then the people, the average person can look at it and, and make up their mind. But they figure that's done for. So they have to fill the void. And these are people who are just moving in and they're filling the void. What is the scenario? What do you have to believe in? And it's even, what's so disgusting is how they encroached on the practice of medicine, yeah. you know, which is supposed to be sort of something special you know, between the doctor and the patient. And here, here they have been able to get involved in that. And, uh, and, and the doctors, and as far as I'm concerned, I think you would agree that some of the best doctors we've seen speaking out got the worst punishment because they did believe in something like that, that if it should come from a, a bureaucrat, a super bureaucrat and other bureaucrats like Fauci. Yeah. And they're to determine what's, what is right and wrong. And uh, right and wrong needs a little bit of discussion. And that's why the First Amendment is so important to sort things out. Uh, but to lock them down and just destroy them, uh, it, uh, it's the principle that is so bad because it cancels out discussion and, uh, and, you know, the permission to have a debate, whether it's in medicine or whether it's in any science. Uh, but, you know, they declare their, their science. You can't talk against me because you're, you're talking against science. It's, just, uh, it's so sick. And it just seems like this shouldn't be that complicated. People yeah. should should wake up to the point where that uh, the government cannot. And when government gets in bed with the big corporations, pharmaceuticals, and and, and the uh, ammunition, the, uh, uh, the military industrial complex, it just it's just a loss of uh, any concept of what is right and wrong. You know, it's the epitome of totalitarianism when you have a major. Uh, you know, public policy issue, and you use the full force of the government uh, and its and its proxies in so-called private sector to shut down one side of the debate. It's something you would expect from Stalinist Soviet Union. Uh, comrade, is this five-year plan going as well? Maybe it's not going that well. No, you shut down that whole side of the debate. That's exactly what's happened in the U.S. for the last two and a half years on COVID and then on Ukraine. You simply make everyone who questions the narrative illegal and you make them disappear. This is something out of the playbook of totalitarian regimes. And now I think with this Twitter change, we're seeing a little bit of a crack in the Berlin Wall and that can have huge consequences, I think. You know, when they have had this uh, misinformation full blown and they were being can individuals canceled out, and there's still a lot of that going on. But it never affected the government's yes, disinformation. Exactly. Yeah. It was always it was always somebody who who really was working hard at being a journalist. Yeah. And uh, 
and, and that meant they, a lot of them got weeded out because they weren't real journalists and they were wimps and they yeah. wimped up. But no, there'd be no sense. Why, why can't we? Of course, I, I would like to see ourselves as, as pointing this out. When the government's lying to us, we should know about it. Yeah. But you know, that, it's especially bad right now. But I imagine over the centuries, governments generally resorted to lies. Yeah. And the worse, the more totalitarian they are, the more, more they uh, uh, lie. Truth is treason in an empire of lies. You know, you, you become treasonous. And they use those words. Yeah, sure. He's, he's, a, he's a radical. He's committing treasons. He's un-American, you know, because he took a different viewpoint. Yeah. Well, it's not only Apple that's hassling Twitter. It's the actual U.S. government itself. And here's a short little video clip of the White House press secretary, who really is a piece of work, I'm telling you. Um, but she's being asked by one of these sycophantic journalists, aren't you worried that Twitter might be allowing free speech? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and let's listen to, I think, the first minute of this. This, is, this tells you everything you need to know about journalism and also about the U.S. government right now. This is a critical moment, really, in terms of um, ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector for misinformation. I mean, are you concerned about the, you know, Elon Musk says there's more and more uh, subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about that? And what tools do you have? Who is it at the White House that is really keeping track of this? So look, this is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. And uh, look, um, we, you know, we have always been very clear um, and that uh, when it comes to social media platforms, it is their responsibility. Uh, to make sure that um, when it comes to misinformation, when we when we comes to the hate that we're seeing, uh, that they they take action, that they continue uh, to take action. Again, we're all keeping a close eye on this. We're all uh, uh, monitoring so, uh, what's. So here she says the U.S. government is keeping a close eye on Twitter. That is shocking. Uh, it should be more shocking than it is. But what mediocrities these people mm -hmm. are. And uh, the thought that came is what we talk about a lot, who's to keep an eye on the government. <laughs> and of course, the, the natural thing is the professionals that could do this in a voluntary fashion are the journalists, good journalism. Yeah. And that's been taught for a long time. But uh, I, I, I just wonder what the transition has been like in journalism school. Yeah. I mean, I cannot believe that uh, the majority, large majority of people coming out of journalism school uh, seem to just roll over. So it must, it must come from there, but, but that's where most of our nonsense comes from. You know, whether it's foreign policy, whether it's uh, monetary policy, economic policy, it's what comes out of the, out of the universities because uh, I don't think things happen by accident. I think there's ideas that, and uh, you have to sort out the bad and the good ideas, but the sorting out can't be part of the enemy because all they do is use it as a tool. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we're facing and why it's so aggravating. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if we're ready, let's move on to the last one. This is kind of an update. It's kind of a same old, same old. That's not a good way to open it. But let's put on that very last couple. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, let's go ahead and put on the last one. We're going to skip Musk for now. Um, the very last one. Yeah, there we go. So here's our, uh, as Candace Owens, the conservative commentator, said, the global welfare queen, Ukraine. Here they are. This is the foreign minister of Ukraine. He had an interview with Politico. He's furious because we are not making weapons fast enough for him. Gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> so this is NATO countries must ramp up arms production for battles ahead, Ukraine says. 
We're almost about to win. We just need some more tanks and some more weapons. So get to it, hop to it. It's just amazing what this country has been able to do, what Ukraine has been able to do to the rest of the Western world. Isn't it amazing? Most of the time it's sort of done half secretly, you know. But here we have the, the head of Ukraine coming over here and rubbing elbows and having dinner with the, with the uh, deep state and the uh, ma manufacturers. So it's, it's no hidden message for how, the, how this whole thing works. But uh, every once in a while you hear cracks in the wall and somebody said, well, uh, this is a little bit too much. But there's a lot of power because uh, just like if you're talking and, and passing out decent, honest information, you can get punished. So if you don't toe the line on, on foreign policy, uh, you know, you're, they'll crack down on you, too. In, in, in almost everything that they do, uh, I, I am moving in a direction where, yes, all my life, you know, I knew about communism you know, uh, because I remember World War II and the Cold War and all this stuff. But uh, I think uh, my, my, uh, from, from my understanding, it looks like the hardest enemy to identify and to get the people alerted to is uh, the corporatism. You know, the corporations, and we, because conservatives and libertarians, well, we're for corporations. We, we let, let them make money, let them keep money. But they're supposed to be honest, you know, and there could be a referee. But, but the whole thing is, is that has nothing to do with it. They're, it they're, instead of it being a little bit of competition, government and and free markets and all. It's the collusion of the corporations and, uh, and the money talks and special interest talks. The legislation is driven by, and right now, elections. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the number of people now, in spite of what you get from the national media, uh, I think there are more and more Americans are saying, you know, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think the elections are perfectly safe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, from personal experience, uh, not that I participate, but personal experience, I know that uh, lying in, uh, in elections has been going on for a long time. It's just more sophisticated now than ever before. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do think this Ukraine is going to go down as one of the biggest fiascos in world history. Um, the, the idea that Western countries are depleting their own military reserves cannot defend themselves against a potential foreign adversary because they've given it all to Ukraine to be blown up and then send more, and then demanding more. Uh, newsflash, they're not about to win. Ukraine is not going to win this. Colonel McGregor, from day one, uh, has been correct about this. And others like Scott Ritter, all of these people have spoken at Ron Paul Institute conferences. They've been right from day one. Uh, it's throwing good money after bad. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to make Afghanistan, I think, look like a walk right. in the park. But I'm going to close up, Dr. Paul. And I, we don't often do this on the program. Um, and if you follow this, today's what we call Giving Tuesday, and that's after the mad rush of shopping over the weekend, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Uh, it's a day that's set aside uh, for nonprofits to ask maybe to give a little bit to them. And the Ron Paul Institute is entering our 10th year uh, this next year. Uh, for 10 years, we've stood without hesitation on the side of peace, on the side of prosperity, on the side of non-intervention. We didn't make deals on different things. We didn't make alliances with bad groups so that we can get ahead. No, we've stood on our own, and our success is thanks to you. So we're asking you, 
if you have it in your hearts and in your pocketbooks today on this Giving Tuesday, and I will include a link at the bottom of this page to give a tax-deductible donation to the Ron Paul Institute. We put on the Ron Paul Liberty Report. We've had an unprecedented three big conferences this past year. We have millions of viewers and listeners to our program. We publish thousands of articles a year. Uh, we want to keep going. We want to keep going with you and with your support. So again, we thank you for your support, and hopefully you'll be able to give a little bit of something to help us keep going in 2023. Dr. Paul? Mm -hmm. Very good. I want to finish uh, off this morning by re-emphasizing something we just talked about a few minutes ago, and that is a reversal of attitude by the may several, four, five, six, depends on how you count, major news networks that have changed their tune because they have not come forward. Uh, if they did come forward, it was usually not to defend Assange, but they have come forward now and recommending dropping the charges against uh, Assange. And this, this is a significant event. Uh, does that mean all of a sudden uh, they have come to know the truth and that sort of thing? No, we don't know that, but they should be encouraged. I mean, it's, it's a blip. It's a blip there of saying, well, you know, maybe we ought to look at this again. And this has been going on for a decade. And, and it's so absurd. And even to the point where they talk about, you know, why, why didn't our government, the United States government, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, assassinate Assange because he's a nuisance. And uh, so I think the fact that these, uh, uh, these news media have come forward and have talked this way, that's a good sign. They should be encouraged. And I just hope it isn't just a, a political strategy blip but uh, I would say that uh, let's hope that this uh, momentum will build and some sanity will come and that we will get, get back to the point where there's a lot more respect for the First Amendment because I tell you what, uh, there's controversy in language all the time. But my simple answer to that is we got the First Amendment not so that we have the right to talk about the weather. Uh, we have the First Amendment because we can discuss openly and honestly anything that we want to as long as it doesn't provoke violence and, uh, and we have too many policemen now but the police are on the wrong side they they come in uh, the pre uh, the speech police come in and uh, if you're on the side of peace and prosperity and uh, a foreign policy that is different uh, than uh, what is what we have and more in line with the constitution uh, th th those individuals shouldn't be punished so I think that uh, there are people out there, I'm still convinced that the majority of the American people, if they had the truth and were asked to say uh, and speak clearly on what side they would be on, <clears throat> I think peace will always win. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.